Hello from Ellensburg, Washington, USA. This is the Nick Zentner Geology Podcast, Episode 28, Ellensburg Blue Agates. Thank you for listening. Hey, I want to thank you. You've made it to the end of our Geology 101 lectures. From the beginning of this podcast with Episode 1 and Geologic Time all the way up to today, which is the last of our uh, introductory geology episodes, Ellensburg Blue Agates, you've basically heard my Geology 101 class in installments. And I sounds like many of you have been enjoying it. You've been, you're a long-haul trucker. You're a heavy machine operator. You're, uh, you're a person who uh, needs help sleeping at night. <laughs> uh, whatever, uh, it seems to be working. So I'm going to continue with these. And I thank you so much for all the feedback. It's been really fun to just uh, crank these out whenever I can find a spare moment and, um, and go from there. I'm at a crossroads, however. I need to know what to do next. And so if you'd like to email me, nick at geology.cwu.edu, and maybe you can give me some podcast ideas. Basically, instead of just one or two episodes, I'm looking for kind of the next group of episodes. What, what would work? Do I go place by place? Do I go topic by topic with more detail? Um Anything specific to give me a little guidance would be great. And if a bunch of people are saying the same thing, then that's, that's what we'll do. But for this one, let's go ahead and finish this 101 um, set of episodes with a very local example. The Ellensburg Blue Agates. Let's see if I can say that better. The Ellensburg Blue Agates. They are famous. There's a lot of people in central Washington that know about the blue agates and know of no other geology. That's fine. Uh, why is it so famous? Well, money's involved. Uh, collecting is involved. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people are interested in geology just because of the collecting thing. They can fill their pockets with X, Y, and Z, and that just gives them intense amounts of pleasure because most of the time it's free. You just go out and you just find cool stuff. And for those of you that teach geology at a high school or a college or someplace, you know that a lot of people come in and visit you and they have samples. They go into their purse or their backpack and they've got a Ziploc bag and they say, I want an expert's opinion on this stuff. And by the way, um, I feel like talking about this. Hope you don't mind. Um, when somebody does that, Oftentimes, they'll just go, well, what is this? And it's quite often very difficult to give them an answer. And so there's always questions that I ask. My first question is, where'd you find it? Basically, you can eliminate 99% uh, of the possibilities if you know where they were. Because if you know the general geology of an area, you can eliminate a bunch of things that you know for sure did not happen in that area. But many are surprised I asked the question, and of course if it's viewed as a valuable entity, then it's a stupid cat and mouse game where they say, well, I'm not going to tell you where I was. It's like, okay, well, I'm not going to tell you what it is. No, I don't, but I kind of want to. Um, but oftentimes it's a very fun, um, uh, enjoyable experience. And people have taken valuable time to come into the 
school to find me and to show me what they have. And some without as much uh, social awareness will, like, walk up to me two minutes before I'm giving a big talk that I've been rehearsing in my mind for months, and they'll <laughs> they'll do the Ziploc bag routine then. And I'm like, ah, can we, get, can we talk about this after the lecture? I'm kind of preoccupied right now. Oh, okay. So that's a long way of saying I get a lot of visitors, and they want to know if they have a blue agate. Just like I have a lot of visitors and they want to know if they have a meteorite. So the meteorite, I don't have a very good answer for. It's not my expertise. And I can say I can give you my opinion, but um, I don't have great abilities to test uh, using analytical tools. And there's a couple of places in North America that actually do that. So I can give you my opinion, but I don't really know what I'm talking about. But with the blue agates, I pretty much do know what I'm talking about. And it's again, it's by learning from people. There's not a whole lot written about blue agates, just like there's not a whole lot written about gold. But over the years, I've visited with a lot of uh, old timers who've been hunting for blues forever. And that's literally how they say it, hunting for blues, Ellensburg blue agates. And more recently, in the last three years, I've met a, a fellow uh, who is a jeweler in Tacoma, and his family has had property uh, in the area where the blue agates are found. And they have really the best claims and have the most productive spots uh, where they're mining the blue agates right up where the blue agates were formed. And I'll, I'll give you, uh, I'll tell you why I'm choosing my words carefully and why I'm also not mentioning the person's name just in case there's yeah, issues there. You know, this is most of this geology stuff just fun, and you share it, and you don't really think twice about what you, whose names you drop or whatever. But boy, when you get into this world of gold and blue agates, suddenly there's uh, there's dollar signs in people's eyes, and uh, there's trespassing issues, and uh, suddenly it's a different world, one that I don't particularly enjoy. In that sense, that you're you're got secrets and you've got uh, conspiracies and everything else, but but. Uh, I can't ignore the blue agates. I live in Ellensburg, frickin' Washington. So if you're really uh, starting cold with this topic, just do me a favor and, and get online and find some photos of Ellensburg blue agates. Google Ellensburg blue agate, click on images, you'll find a bunch. They're beautiful. And many of those samples have been um, uh, worked into stones, of course, worked into jewelry, worked into rings, worked into necklaces, um, etc., and I certainly don't know anything about that. What I do know is geology, and I want to do a little geology lesson. And much like the gold episode last time, there's some questions, just as well as there are some answers. So let's start with the answers. The blue agates are intimately connected to the Tianaway basalt. So to review from our last episode, we had this rather flat Washington, 59 to 49 million years ago. We had these cracks mysteriously starting to show up in the middle of the swamp, if you want to think of it that way, starting 51 million years ago. Those cracks form, those cracks open up, and Hawaiian-like lava starts belching out of those cracks to the point where it floods with lava central Washington. That's the Tianaway Basalt. 
Now, I can't hold it. There's a question right off the bat. What's what's going on with the Tianaway formation? And I guess I do want to say that it's more than basalt. There's some rhyolite. So most of you know that that basalt is a lava that's very fluid. Again, Hawaii. Uh, yeah, very fluid. Uh, we don't have big explosions. Um, it's passive, effusive lava that we've talked about a number of times in this series so far. And there is definitely Tianaway basalt. Again, the feeder dikes, uh, the basalt at the surface, that's all basalt, basalt, no, no problem there. But I've ignored pretty much the whole time, meaning uh, as long as I've been here, I've ignored the rhyolite of the Tianaway formation. And I've ignored it because I don't understand it. And I've also ignored it because I, I haven't seen good outcrops of the rhyolite of the Tianwei formation. But I feel like I do want to say that here, and I'll tell you why in just a bit. But I'll, I'll mention right now that, that uh, bimodal volcanism is a thing. Bimodal volcanism. B-I-M-O-D-A-L. Bimodal volcanism. Modes meaning t- type. So we have two very different types of lavas erupting from the same in the same event, essentially, or at least from the same um, tectonic conditions. I'll give you a good example, and that's Yellowstone Park. We all know that Yellowstone is a supervolcano, and and um, unfortunately, Yellowstone has been hijacked by the media so that everybody is super worried about Yellowstone and they should not be worried about anything coming in the next few days or years. I mean, uh, don't get me started there. But Yellowstone also has basalt. So Yellowstone has rhyolite, which is the stiffest and most explosive events. But Yellowstone also has these basalts, which are very passive and uh, quote-unquote safe. Bimodal volcanism, the two most opposite kinds of lava are coming out of the ground at the same system. So the Yellowstone hotspot, in other words, has created this bimodal volcanism. And there's different models out there to explain why you have both the explosive rhyolites and the passive basalts. I can't remember if I did this when we were talking about hotspots, but in the case of Yellowstone, at least a few decades ago when I was learning it in graduate school, the thought was the first thing to happen is the rhyolitic supervolcano explosion. That's the rhyolite being created. And then the second phase of the event is all of this deeper mafic material, this deeper basaltic material coming up and... Um, filling the caldera and oftentimes uh, flooding and burying the caldera with this basalt. Now, we have a good way of kind of looking at those details with the Yellowstone story because that's stuff that's been going on in the last 20 million years, which is really recent compared to this Tianaway story, which is 50 million years ago. And so much has been happening in central Washington in the last 50 million years that if we did have a very simple uh, supervolcano caldera with the Tianaway and then these flood basalts burying everything, even if that was here, it's very difficult to find pieces of it anymore because there's been so much folding and faulting and burying by uh, other kinds of geologic events. 
Sounds like I'm stalling, doesn't it? You just want to know about the blue agates and where can I go? Well, I'm going to get there, man, but this is a geology podcast, and to me, context is everything. All right. So why am I talking about the rhyolite as well as the basalt with the TNOA? Well, if you find an online lecture that I did, I guess, five or more years ago on Ellensburg blue agates, I told a relatively simple story. And I said, look, if we go to the Tianaway basalt, not the rhyolite. Now, I ignored, I didn't even mention the word rhyolite. I said, if you go to the Tianaway basalt, and if you look at the holes that are in the Tianaway basalt, like it's most obvious to imagine a vesicle, like a gas bubble that is in the top of the Tianway basalt. That's a hole. But if you look carefully at the Tianway basalt, there's a lot of other holes of different sizes and shapes, and those are not all vesicles. There's other cavities of different kinds. And some of those cavities are still totally open. But some of those cavities are filled with a bunch of quartz, That's really what an agate is. If you've heard the word agate, but you're not really sure how it forms, the general Geology 101 explanation is you develop a cavity in a bedrock layer, an open space, in other words, and then you're deep underground and you have some sort of fluids. Some say hot fluids, some say cold fluids. I don't know. Some sort of fluids coming through that cavity, and the fluids are actually precipitating mineral. I'm not a chemist. I don't know the details of this. And to be honest, I'm not sure we all understand what's going on with that. But again, to explain basically an agate, let's say you have a fist-sized cavity in a bedrock layer. And then as fluids pass through that cavity, you start painting the walls of that cavity with mineral, let's say quartz. And you keep filling that cavity with more and more quartz. And you keep filling the cavity. The room is getting smaller and smaller now. Sometimes you totally fill the cavity with quartz. Well, if you're then patient and wait for the surrounding rock to crumble away, oftentimes the quartz is harder than the surrounding rock. And so what are you left with? You're left with a rock to pick up. And you break the rock open, and it's got cool little jawbreaker stripes inside of it, or sometimes it's actually got beautiful crystals inside. The thing you're breaking open used to be the only open spot. That was kind of awkward. Let me try it again very quickly. If you have a cavity that then's filled with quartz, and then you erode the surrounding rock, the cavity-filled quartz is the only thing that's left. And so if you bust open this cavity-filled Cavity filled with quartz. Shit, this is more awkward than before. Skip it. Google agate. (laughs) All right. So there's tons of agates in the Tianue formation. Why? Why don't we have tons of agates in the Columbia River basalt? Why don't we have tons of agates in all volcanic rock layers. What's special about the Tianaway basalt? Is it, the, is it a chemistry thing? 
Are we are we somehow dissolving certain elements in the Tianaway basalt and then redepositing them in the cavities? So that's one question. I'm afraid I got more questions than answers, unfortunately. And if you're bummed by that, I'm surprised because you have an interest in science if you've gotten this far into this episode and this this series. And I'm also surprised because you know how science works. We keep working on questions. And as we work on questions, we get more questions. And that's the way this works. There's way more questions than answers. And you can view that positively, as many of us do. There's plenty of cool mysteries to work on. And sometimes you do answer the questions, and there's deep satisfaction with that. So my first question is, why are there so many agates in that Tianoid basalt? If you go up on Red Top Mountain, which is a local place that everybody goes up to and starts whacking away on the rock, it's a war zone up there. That's the Tianoid basalt. It's a beautiful, there's a fire lookout on top. It's, 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 it's a scenic spot. You can see Mount Stewart from there, etc. But most people go up there with jackhammers. I'm exaggerating, kind of. But basically, you start wailing on this Tianway basalt until you can find these, these agates that are in the hard rock. Why? Why are those agates so riddled within the Tianway formation and not others? Nobody's figured that out. Then there's the next obvious question. Why are the agates different colors? And why are some of the agates blue? Not many of them are blue, but the blue ones, quartz, are called Ellensburg blue agates. So back to these people coming and visiting my office, they say, I found this thing, and it was up at, I was up at Red Top, or I was in this place I'm about to talk about, and uh, pretty sure I got a blue agate. Don't you think so? And I'll say, well, looks pretty gray to me. And they're like, yeah, I know, but it was it looked pretty blue when I got it, and now it's getting kind of gray. So then we we say, well, I guess you got a good Ellensburg gray. So the point is, it's coming from the Tianaway, it's coming from the cavity, it's definitely quartz, it's definitely part of that scene, but there's a, just a precious few of those agates, those quartz agates that have this deep, deep blue color, which is permanent, which is valuable, which is collected by somebody in 1913 and has now passed down through four generations of the family. I'm not exaggerating now. These are, these are locally prized collections of blue agates. Okay, let's get off from the esoteric and the unsolved to go a little bit more towards where can I go find them. So uh, remember last episode we had Hard Rock Liberty Gold and we had Placer Liberty Gold. Let me remind you very quickly. The Hard Rock Liberty Gold was literally up in the black shale and we had these fragile wires of crystalline wire gold. And then down low where the water has been running, we have these rounded... Um, nuggets of gold where the wires have been packed together and those are both in the Liberty area. The Ellensburg Blue Hunting Ground is right there as well. Isn't this crazy? So the blue agates are also part of the Tianaway story and we have Hard Rock Ellensburg Blue and we have Placer or Water Worn Ellensburg Blue. Have you ever thought about that before if you're a blue agate hunter? 
It's not like we have fragile wires of blue, but if you go up to Red Top, or if you go up to some of the basaltic ridges above the town of Liberty, and you're not on somebody's land, hopefully, or you're going to get shot at, but if you're on some public land, and you know what you're doing, you can find some of the Tianaway basalt or rhyolite, and the cavities are filled with quartz. Those are the agates that are truly in the bedrock. And if you're extremely lucky, or this gentleman I'm going to vaguely refer to who has the best spots up in that hard rock country, where he's got actual pipes, he's got actual volcanic vents that are filled with blue agates inside of those little chimneys, those little hydrothermally heated chimneys that I don't understand. Some of them rhyolite and some of them basalt. That's all I'll say, I guess. But that's the hard rock story. And that's tough luck finding stuff up in the ridges above Liberty. I would say 95% of people who look for Ellensburg blue agates and go out regularly are not going up to the hard rock. They're not actually going up to the Tianaway basalt itself, even though that is the source. Where are they going? Why aren't they going to where the blue agates are in the rock? Well, Mother Nature has done a favor for us. Mother Nature has been eroding the Tianaway formation, the basalts and the rhyolites, for millions of years. And what I'm trying to say is a river, a river system which no longer exists, has been gradually taking pieces of the Ellensburg blue scene and delivering them into the Kittitas Valley, where Ellensburg, Washington, is located. What I'm trying to say is, it's a popular pastime for people, families even, of different generations, to go out and walk in these fields and look down and have bad posture and eventually crouch down and pick something up off the ground. And quite commonly, I mean, this is not a one in a million thing, quite commonly, you'll find a blue agate sitting in the ground. That's why this is such a popular thing. Valuable pieces of quartz that have a deep blue color, Ellensburg blue agates, can be found regularly for years and years and years just by bending over and picking it up. There's no fancy equipment. There's no, you know, sophisticated uh, 3D modeling or something else. You just literally go out to this farmer's field that hopefully is public land, but most of it is not, and you pick these things up. And let's say you're very thorough, and you've been over this whole area, this whole field with a fine tooth comb. Well, what if you go out the next spring? Some of you grew up on farms. You know about frost heave. Many of us grew up on a farm, and our jobs as a young person was to pick rocks out of the field. And it was tough work, boring work, sometimes hard work if the rocks were big, and you're a little person. And then the next spring comes, and Dad says, time to go out and pick rocks. And you're like, no, I did it last year. There aren't any rocks out there anymore. But you go out the next spring, and sure enough, there's a whole new crop. Like, what the hell, man? Are we growing rocks or are we growing corn? 
So there's an amazing physics story where you freeze and thaw and freeze and thaw these fields and you have a new crop of rocks come to the surface. If you don't believe me, go work a farm sometime and you'll find a new batch every spring. Well, in this case, we have fields, a bunch of sagebrush, but there's a new crop of blue agates coming up every spring. Not quite that dramatic, but it's, it's pretty close. You can go out every year and you can swear you hunted that area last year for blue agates and by God, there's a blue agate waiting for you. Or maybe there was a good rain and there's kind of the light conditions are good. There's lots of variables for finding these blue agates. But um, before I get too carried away with the hunting tips that I've learned over the years, I should point out that almost all of this land is private. It's really just the northwestern corner of the Kittitas Valley that have these blue agates. And it's a, it's a big alluvial fan, a big broad apron of river rocks, where a river came through the Green Canyon Notch. So the only real conduit between the Liberty Gold area, where the Tianwe Formation is, and our valley, the Kittitas Valley, the only connection between those two places is this V-shaped river valley called the Green Canyon Notch. And it was a superhighway for blue agates being carried by rivers from the Liberty area when the Tianwe basalt was being eroded aggressively and those blue agates being delivered. This is Placer now, right? We're having water carry uh, rocks of different kinds, including agates, lots and lots of white and gray uh, agates, but occasionally some blue ones. And we're going to dump all that stuff into the northwestern corner of Kittitas Valley. But my point is most of it's private land. And those, those folks out there have signs all over the place. Please, no trespassing. Actually, I don't think they use the word please. No trespassing. We're going to shoot you if we see you out there. This is our land. Get the hell off our land, et cetera, et cetera. But those that know the blue agate scene, they know where the good spots are. There is a little mom-and-pop operation called the Rock and Tomahawk Ranch where you can pay five bucks into the little proprietor and you can go out there and, uh, and hunt on your own. But that's an area that's been picked over pretty good. Even with the frost heave, I don't think there's great chances out there. What do I know? Um, this episode brought to you by the Rock and Tomahawk Ranch. So that was a crappy commercial for them. Um, I had a local guy... Um, give me some directions to a, a section, in other words, uh, a mile-by-mile mile section of pretty good blue agate country that is public, owned by the state, DNR land. And uh, there's a unmarked place to park along Racer Creek Road, and you've got to walk, a uh, 10-minute walk along this fence line. It's kind of like an easement to get to that interior section of this, this public land. But that's where I send people, and if you're interested in this, I'd like to take your family out, I'll send you, email me, I'll send you some directions. I send people out there all the time, and uh, I say all I ask is that you uh, send me a picture if you found something good. And I've had many, many photos of good-looking blue agates come from that in the last six, seven years. So it's worth, it's worth your time if you're into that, especially in the spring. But everybody's got their own little local... Um, uh, uh, approach, uh, just like hunters of other things, right? Some people say, well, you, you just got to stay by the fence posts. It's like, what? 
Well, yeah, they dug those fence posts. You know, there's a lot of good stuff that comes up right along the fence posts. There's others say that you got to stay out by the, get out of the grasses, uh, get into the to the bare uh, scrub, and you're like, okay, I guess that makes sense. Then there's others say the opposite. They say, well, no, nobody goes to the to the grass little islands. Go to the go, go to the grassy islands and get down in there. You'll find some stuff. Some say go to the gopher holes or any sort of little varmints that are digging around. They'll dig up the blue agates for you. Just go through their uh, their little piles of uh, earth. Some say go out, uh, have to go out in early, as soon as the snow melts, go out. Some say go overcast days. Others say no, go out when it's super sunny, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So this is, this is a, not just a couple of, you know, people with uh, bad social lives. This this is a lot of folks. And when our boys were young, it was fun to take them out. You know, it's a treasure hunt. It's like an Easter egg hunt. And, uh, you know, if, if you're just spiritually right, you, you, you just have fun finding all sorts of stuff. It's not all just the blue agate story. But, of course, everybody's after the same thing, these blue agates. So there used to be two main jewelry shops in town that... Um, basically bought and sold blue agates. And one is now out of business because uh, Steve passed away a few years ago, which is a sad thing. Uh, so now there's just one, Kim Knapp Jewelry. And um, he does a, a good business with blue agate jewelry and buying and selling. And then I think there's all sorts of online stuff that I don't know much about. But to, to finish this and to go back to some of the geological stories... Um, this fellow that I'm purposely being coy about has been teaching me uh, what he knows. He's uh, he's had a long life as a jeweler, and he sells a lot of um, blue agate jewelry, not in Ellensburg, but on the west side of the mountains in western Washington. And his dad and his grandpa, I think, uh, bought a bunch of the best hard rock places where they are... They have been, I don't think recently, but they have been uh, mining, um, digging hard into that Tianaway rhyolite and the Tianaway basalt. And they have these deposits that are yielding the best blue agates. So instead of, instead of just kind of uh, uh, guessing that you're in the right part of the Tianaway basalt and hoping that a few little vesicles have a couple blue agates in them, uh, they've kind of got the mother load. And I want to learn more about, is this more of a basalt story or more of a rhyolite story? And clearly this, this quartz material that's filling these holes in the Tianaway formation is a secondary story. In other words, clearly these are holes that are being filled after the volcanic events took place. And that's clear because they're, they're only filling certain things that have opened up in these, these uh, deposits. But much like the gold, is this uh, filling those cavities with quartz and blue agate material uh, 5,000 years after the volcanic event is done? 5 million years after the volcanic event is done? Is that 44 million-year-old hydrothermal scene to make the gold, is that the same appropriate date to make the blue agates? Boy tantalizing uh, to try to figure this out. Uh, the last thing I'll say is we did have a, a mineral 
a mineralogist, a, a, a professor here who was specializing in minerals. His name was Paul Hoskin, and he was from New Zealand. And uh, part of the reason he took the job here in Ellensburg is he knew about the blue agates. And actually, before he arrived, he asked me to send him a couple blue agates so he could get a jump on studying some of the, the, the details of the blue agates. And he was only with us for a few years before he decided to take a, a, a different job uh, on a different continent. And um, uh, that was a sad day for me because Paul was going to just do nothing but research on the blue agates and the Tianwei formation. And in the, in the few years that he was here, he made progress. And he basically magnified these blue agate samples down to the tiniest levels. I don't have scale for you, but using, you know, electron microscope type look. And instead of the blue in the blue agates being a chemistry story, which is every, what everybody assumed, and I think even some scientific reports mentioned that there's impurities in the quartz to make the blue color. Instead of that, Paul was able to find these tiny little spheres at the smallest, tiniest level, microns across, I'm making that up. I don't really know how big they were, but they're that level. Paul's message was the blue color is more of a physics situation than a chemistry situation. Just like the sky is blue, he said that there's these little sphere-like structures in the best blue agates to give the blue color by by light refraction as opposed to cobalt or something else that's giving the blue color. That was preliminary, and again, he left before he continued the story, but he was going to really dive into this Tianwei story with the formations and the, the rhyolite and the basalt and the structures, and he would have really done some nice work there. But, oh well, that's the way it goes. So, like with the Liberty Gold, the Ellensburg Blue Agates, there are plenty of mysteries, but for most people, who cares? The stuff's out there. Let's go. Let's pack a nice picnic lunch. Get the pickup. Let's go out there. It, the snow just melted. Uh, Zentner told us how to get out to that public land. Uh, let's see what we can find. Maybe the kids who are closer to the ground will have a better eyesight than we will. And the story continues, and the collecting continues. And just like the Liberty Gold, there's still plenty of blue agates to be found. Well, friends, that's the end of this Ellensburg Blue Agate episode. And it's the end of our 101 class discussions. Tune in next time for God Knows What. Thank you for listening. <laughs>